This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au If you've got a Bible or your phone, feel free to open to Psalm 104 or the words will be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Psalm 104. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There are birds that make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild ghosts. The crags are a refuge for the Hirax. He made the moon to mark the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There are ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, Anchor. How are we? Great to see you all. My name is Matt. I am the lead pastor here at Anchor Church. If I have not met you before, I would love to meet you after the service. This morning, we are, I'm going to be preaching a short one-off, and then next week, we are jumping into our new series through 1 and 2 Samuel, exploring the life of David. The series will be called The Rise and Fall of Kings. Uh, And uh, it's a thrilling story that we will be journeying through over the next couple of months. But this morning, I want to talk about generosity. And generosity is one of the values that we have here at Anchor Church. 
But you know, you can um, if you've ever been to a, a business. I used to work at a um, a business at, when I was at university, and they used to have their values up on the wall. The values were there, but no one knew them and no one lived by them. It was like just a re- reminder that this organization was a giant walking contradiction because <laughs> we had all these values like, you know. We are customer-focused, but it was the least customer-focused organization I think I've ever worked for. We have values here at Anchor Church. We don't want them just to be token things that are on a wall. We want them to be embodied in the life of our church family. So one of the ways that we try to ensure that these aren't just slogans that we throw around, but are embodied, is, is by breaking down our values. We've done these for every single one of these. So as we talk and think about the value of generosity, we want to break this down into a behavior We want to ask a question that draws that behavior out. And we want to remind ourselves about what this value guards us against. So when we talk about generosity, the behavior that we have, that we want to repeat over and over again, is to bless others. Bless others. That's the behavior. The question that draws that blessing out of us is to ask, what has God put in my hand? What has God given me? What has God blessed me with that I may may bless others? And the thing that this guards against is an attitude of stinginess. And so this morning, I want to speak to us about generosity. But broader than just what we do with our finances, this is a vision for our church of a generous life holistically. It's a vision for a generous church, a church of big-hearted people, a people who see generosity as the basic fruit of the Christian life. This is all of how we live. A church where we have rich community. A church where houses are open, not seen as fortresses which, to which we retreat and hide from the world out there and never invite anyone in other than our closest circle of friends, but places where we open our doors and tables are full of food and good wine and full of people and we have rich, genuine family around a table celebrating community together, a community where we have a deep sense of belonging together because we've been generous with our relational time, opening our lives up to those around us, a community where we have every of all of our ministries resourced because we see that our time is a commodity that is precious, but to be given in service of other people where our teams are thriving where we have no unmet need in our church because we see that we are called to meet the needs of the household of God, the people that God has placed in and around us, that we would see our city not as something that we use for our own personal gain, but an object of our blessing, generosity and service. A church where we would foster gratitude and thankfulness. A church where we would see contentment sown in our hearts, where we would kill greed And critique the consumerism that so rampantly drives our culture. A church where we would sow sacrificially into sending our best to go and plant churches. That we would see church planting as an act of our generosity to send our people, our resources, our time, our money so that new communities of faith could be planted in other parts of our city. A church where we would see caring and stewarding for the creation that God has entrusted to us as an act of generosity towards the next generations. A church that would truly embody and live the John 10, 10 life, that we would live life and life to the full in abundance and fullness. That's the vision for our 
church. Not merely what we do with our wallets and our credit cards, but all of life. And to that end, I want to pray for us before we dive into God's Word. So please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you this morning that as we look at what you have done in this world and are doing in this world, we can stand back and be in awe of your good, gracious generosity towards us. God, in everything that you have made, in every provision for this earth, but most importantly, God, in giving your one and only Son for us, we see that you are a staggeringly generous God. And I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts to be a people who would live in response to your gracious generosity towards us. And I pray this in God's, in Jesus' strong name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where um, you're, you're preparing to go out for the evening. You go to your wardrobe, perhaps your giant walk-in wardrobe that is so full, it's actually spilled into the second bedroom of your house and you have a whole other, you know, all the winter coats are in there. And the moment you're about to bring them over into your main wardrobe, right? You walk into your wardrobe and there is like 10 different shades of black jeans that you have in there, 24 t-shirts, they're all black, gray or white because no one wears colors anymore. If you're going to be super adventurous, perhaps you might go bottle green at this stage, but you've got like 24 colored black t-shirts, white t-shirts, gray t-shirts, a thousand jackets, and you stand back at your wardrobe that is bursting at the seams and you say something like this, I've got nothing to wear. Anyone ever done that? You, you, you literally look at your wardrobe that is overflowing and bursting at the seams and the thought that comes into your mind is, I have nothing to wear. What, what do we mean when we say that? I have nothing to wear. You've got everything to wear. I literally, I am kid you not, I have jeans that I have not thrown away because I'm waiting for the cycle to come back around. And now that the baggy jeans are back, I just can't bring myself, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't get back to them. They need to go to Vinny's but I've been hanging on to these jeans and I look at them all the time. And I say in my wardrobe, wardrobe full of clothes, I have nothing to wear. That is a statement of lack in the face of overwhelming abundance. A statement of lack in the face of overwhelming abundance. All the clothes that you could imagine, like you could wear a new pair of jeans every day of the month and still not cycle through all of what you've got. I don't, have, I don't have anything to wear. Now, why? Because I think we have profoundly missed the first chapter of the story of this world, the first chapter of the Bible. Because in that chapter, we see a generous, good, gracious God. And this cultural posture that we have, that we live in a perpetual state of lack, that I don't have enough, that I just need more, and that if I have this thing or that thing or this person in my life, then and only then will I be happy, fulfilled, more comfortable, more secure, more efficient in my life. Despite living in the richest moment in all of human history, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of you know, financial insecurity and potential recessions on the horizon, even when those things are true, we live with one of the highest standards of living imaginable in human history. And yet we still live feeling like we live in perpetual lack, that we simply don't have enough. Brene Brown, the I don't even know what she is, like a self-help guru, she, she calls this the scarcity fallacy. 
the scarcity fallacy, that we somehow have believed this narrative that we live in perpetual scarcity. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that is actually a theological problem. That is a profound misunderstanding with how we view the world, with how we understand God. We are not thinking right about God and this world and what He has done and what He has made. That's the problem that is as old as Eden itself, as old as humanity's origins. It's the problem that Adam and Eve first encountered. Because God has created a beautiful, rich, bountiful, abundant world. And in that world of vast array of creation for humanity to explore, cultivate, tame and use, God placed one tree in the middle of the garden that was forbidden. And what did we choose to do? What did our first parents choose to do? We focused on the one thing that God had said was out of bounds instead of turning our attention to all of the bounty that was around us. And we believed the lie that God is holding out, that He is stingy, that He cannot be trusted. This sense of lack that we feel, this perpetual sense of lack is not a problem. It's not a lack of resources. It's not a resource problem. It's a framework problem. It's a frame of understanding. We have failed to understand the world and God properly. And we need, desperately need, a recalibration. We need an adjustment of the lens with which we view the world. Now, I, um, I love coffee, and a few years ago, we bought a coffee machine, and I got a little bit obsessed. In fact, I'm, I'm still somewhat obsessed about the brewing process of the coffee. And uh, so what I do is I, I measure my beans. As I pour them out of the, the bag of beans, I measure them to the point one of a decibel, a decimal of a, of a gram, right? So I'm measuring out 20.5 grams of coffee that I then pour into my grinder and then I grind it and then I measure it again to make sure that I've got the 20.5 grams out. And then when I'm, when I'm really, really focused on it, I will actually measure the amount of coffee that comes through. So I'm like looking for my 40 grams out of my 20.5 in over 30 seconds. I'm measuring the whole thing. And I, ha- I bought a little scale to do it. It's quite handy. There's a little scale, but the problem with a scale is occasionally the scale needs a recalibration. It needs to be reset. It needs to put a a measure on that I know the exact amount of to recalibrate that scale because if the scale is wrong, it throws the whole process out. And my coffee is just not what it ought to be on a Sunday morning. Could you imagine that? And the same is true for us. When we view the world through this lens of perpetual lack. It skews everything. And so what I want to do this morning is give us a recalibration about how we view God and the world. And what I want us to do is focus in on what God has done so generously in both creation and in salvation. What God has given us, what God has blessed us with as we look at the world that He has made and in looking at what He has done in securing salvation for us. So firstly, let's look at creation. God's generosity in creation. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, The Bible starts with a liturgy of abundance. I love that. The Bible starts with a liturgy of abundance. What he's referring to is the poetic phrase of Genesis 1 and 2. He says, The Bible starts with this song of praise for God's 
generosity. If you remember the repeated phrases that come up in Genesis chapter 1, it is good, 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 it is good. And then finally, it is very good over and over again. What God has made is good. In fact, it culminates in humanity. It is very good. And God's intent in creating this world was a world of fruitfulness and abundance and beauty and, dare I say, prosperity. In Psalm 104, that psalm that Mitch read for us, it says this. Psalm 104 is like this beautiful poem about what God has done, how He provides for creation, how He created this whole world, how He even cares about the wild beasts and the animals of the field. But it says this in Psalm 104, verse 25, reflecting on the ocean. He says this, the psalmist says this, There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living creatures, both large, like the, the whale, or really small, like phytoplankton. And what blows me away is that the whale eats the phytoplankton. I'm like, how can such a large creature eat something so small? It's amazing. Verse 25, there are ships that go to and fro and Leviathan or the sea monster, which you formed to frolic there. Look at the seas. There, there is a vast array of creatures. In fact, scientists tell us that there are approximately 230,000 known species in our oceans. 230,000 known species, but even more staggering, they reckon that there are two and a half million undiscovered species in the earth. Like we haven't even reached the bottom of the ocean yet. There is so much more to explore. God has created just like that's just what lives in the ocean, let alone what lives in the skies and on the land. Vast. Why did God do this? Why has God created such abundance in the oceans? Well, it's so that we would Watch David Attenborough's planet Earth and just go, wow, wow, look at what our God has made. So that scientists could explore and discover and photographers could take photos that would buckle our knees in worship at the power, magnificence, creativity and beauty of our Creator. Just think of that for a second. Just think of the ridiculous abundance with which God has exercised his creative power in this world. All of the things that God has made. You think of all of the flavors of, of foods. I'm sorry if you haven't had breakfast yet and you're hanging out for post-church feed. Just think for a second of the Avo smash toast down at Roastville Cafe, right? With the dukkha on top and the, the if you get a poached egg on the side and then they put the little flowers and nuts. It's just a beautiful masterpiece of food and your mouths are salivating right now thinking about what you're going to eat after but but think of the variety of flavors that God has created sweet and sour and salty and all of the things that are in between think of the colors of flowers that burst forth in spring of every variety and shade that God has made all, all of the smells that we encounter the smell of, one of our kids said the other day, how come rain smells when it hits the road? I don't know, but it smells great, doesn't it? Or the smell of eucalyptus trees as you walk through the Australian bush or 
the smell of freshly cut grass, which none of you know about because no one has grass in your backyard in the inner west. Or the textures that God has created. The smoothness of silk. The roughness of a bark on a tree. The sharpness of a blade of grass as you run it through your fingers. Or think of all of the different calls that birds make. When I first moved to Australia, I believed that the crows were calling my name. Because they would make this noise. It sounded like they were saying, Matt, Matt, Matt. And I was like, what? Or the kookaburra. What in the world was God thinking when he, like, at what point did the Trinity have that conversation about what sound the kookaburra was going to make? Just, I mean, all of the staggering variety of sounds and smells and senses that God has overwhelmed us with in this world. God could have made just one flavor, one color, one texture, one smell. And what a boring world that would have been, a world of gray. And he didn't do that. Why? Because God delights in creative abundance and he wants us, the pinnacle of his creation, to enjoy what he has made for his glory. Now let's not skip past the bit about enjoying what God has made. Because I think as Christians, we have a weird relationship with enjoyment. We think that if we've enjoyed something almost too much, we've, we've ruined the experience. And I want to suggest to you that is not a Christian way of viewing the world. It's not a Christian way of viewing the blessings that God has given us. God has not just created a functional world but he has created a world of beauty and abundance and goodness and a variety of colors, flavors, textures for us to enjoy. You know, in our staff team, there's a couple of foodies. And uh, every time we go out somewhere or go away together, there's a fairly lengthy process of research that occurs around all of the food options that are available. We recently moved from Balmain to Newtown. And we were in Darling Street. There were a fair few food options available, but it was a bit of a walk. And we got to Newtown and all of a sudden, the options on King Street were overwhelming, right? And everyone wants to think about what's the best food, what's the best flavors that we can get our hands on. And, and I'm just like, guys, food is functional. Let's just get in and out, eat what we can and get back to work because I've got a lot on my to-do list. Like, I will, I will eat the same oats every single morning of the year, right? It's just oats with a bit of honey on it or perhaps oats, if I'm, if I'm adventurous, oats with some muesli sprinkled on top for a little bit of flavor. That's not fair. I do enjoy a good meal, but, but so much of what God has created in this world is not just functional. It's not that it just works well, a well-engineered machine. God has created this world with a rich array of abundance for us to enjoy, for us to enjoy. God has blessed us and he's blessed us materially. We'll get to the spiritual bit in a second, but he has blessed us materially beyond, beyond what we need, beyond what we deserve. I just think about that for a second. You have right now abundantly more than what you need. That is true. Like we live in the top echelon of probably 
the 5 to 2% richest people in the world. We have more than what we need. God has blessed us abundantly and He's blessed us materially. And everything that God has given us is a gift that comes from Him. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Everything that we have received is a gift from our Father in heaven that He has given us out of His goodness to us. I'm a father. I have three children. I know what it means to give a good gift. I also know what it means to give a stingy, cheap gift. But God is our heavenly father and he blesses abundantly. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. You know, a couple of years ago, we gave all of our kids bikes for their successive birthday and Christmas presents. And when you're a parent, um, the night before Christmas, you, um, you stay up rather late assembling this bike uh, in the hopes that on Christmas morning, your child wakes up overflowing with joy because of this huge present that is very awkwardly wrapped under the Christmas tree. Now, as a, when you purchase a bike for your children, you purchase a bike with the future in mind, Right? it's probably a little bit bigger than what is needed in the present moment. It's slightly difficult to reach the pedals. And so when said child gets to try out their present, there's a potentially a lot of whinging, complaining, crying, tears that occur. And I'm thinking to myself, I just wanted you to enjoy this gift. I just wanted you to delight in this present that I gave you and I can lower the seat, but I can't make you grow very quickly. And, and there's this thing that happens to us when we fail to enjoy the good gifts that our Heavenly Father has blessed us with. Perhaps because we think that we can't enjoy them or perhaps because we have placed too much of our identity, focus, attention and desire on those things. But God has blessed us abundantly for our enjoyment, to enjoy what He has given the part of the problem is when we take those good gifts, make them ultimate, make them idols and begin to enjoy them too much, that begins to manifest as a problem in our lives. But at the very foundation, the thing that will erode this perpetual sense of lack that we feel is to step back and look at how abundantly generous God has been. But He's not generous just in His creativity and his creation. He's also generous spiritually. God has been recklessly generous towards us. Have a look. Most famous verse in the whole Bible is what? Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you. Gold star for you. The famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, right? And in John 3.16, it says this, for God so loved the world that he, thank you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We worship a giving, generous God and he has given us his very best. God is not stingy, he is not tight-fisted, he has not withheld from us. He's given his one and only son. John 1 verse 3 says, God has lavished his love upon us. I love that word, lavished. 
when you say it too many times, it almost sounds weird and not like English, but God has lavished. Just say it, lavished, lavish. It's the, the word just feels plump, right? Lavished his love. God hasn't just given us a little bit, like a thimble drop of love. He has poured his love out on us in Christ. He's given us his very best. God's love is infinite, overflowing, abundant. The source of it never runs dry. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, there is no one richer than the God of the universe than the God of the heavens. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the, the earth is yours, Lord, and everything in it. He owns everything that we can see, taste, smell, hear. It's all God's. The earth is yours and everything in it. There is no one richer than the God of the universe and there is no one poorer than a man stripped naked, strung out on a Roman cross. God's generosity cost him everything, his son to give his life, to redeem us, that he might become poor, that we might become rich. And not materially rich, although that is true, but spiritually rich. You see, before God did the saving, miraculous work of new birth in your life, you were spiritually impoverished, spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt. We had nothing to offer or contribute. And Jesus came and took our place as spiritual paupers and gave us the riches that were His in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not most, not some, not 99%, but all of it. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack nothing that God has given us. Man, He is good. He is so abundantly generous towards us. So what is our response? How ought we to live in this world as we are reminded of the overflowing, abundant generosity of God towards this creation, towards us as recipients of His grace? How do we respond? Well, a couple of things. I think we need a recalibration of the way that we view the world. Right? Once we do that, and perhaps for you, maybe the best thing that you can do after this message today is to leave church and just stop for a second and consider what God has done. Like maybe, maybe, the, maybe the best thing is to just go for a hike in the bush and just stop and just listen to the sounds around you and go and rub a tree and, and hug it and feel, I don't know, like the other hikers walk past like, that guy's got serious problems. Or maybe it's go to the beach and just, and just get a handful of sand and, and feel it all. As you sit down to lunch, before you just hoe in, just stop and look at what's on your plate and look at the colours and smell the aroma and just remember God has poured out His gracious generosity on us. But I think there's a couple of things that we can do as we ponder God's generosity. Firstly, a response of gratitude and thankfulness. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything you have, even the latent abilities that you were born with, 
They are gifts from God. The ability that you have to be a wizard on a spreadsheet or to be a, uh, an incredible with your hand as a, a, as a creative or as a builder, whatever, whatever gifts, abilities and skills that you were born with, they were a gift from God. Everything, including all of the hard work that you have done to achieve where you are in life right now, that only comes because you have been granted good health. Everything that we have is a gift from God and our attitude is thankfulness, gratitude. Thank you, God, for what you have blessed me with. Secondly, an attitude of contentment. We know that we worship a God who loves to bless us. That He gives and what He gives is given for our good as well as the good of others around us. And at times... God will withhold. He is in control. And whatever season we find ourselves in, a season of abundance and overflowing generosity, a season of lack, we can trust and rest in the contentment that God has given us enough and that He is at work in our present circumstance. Thirdly, that we can trust God for our future provision. It's very difficult to trust someone to provide when they're stingy, when you simply do not know if they will give you what you need. In the world of caring for children, it's called neglect. And we do not worship a God who is neglectful. God blesses us. He is a good father and he loves to bless. And that means that we can trust him with our futures. It means that you can trust Him with your family. It means that you can trust Him with provision. It means that you can trust Him in your generosity. He is trustworthy. And finally, it ought to mean that we are generous people as well. See, we are a people who ought to be imitators of God. We are constantly being formed into the image of Jesus, into the likeness of our Father. And what it looks like to be a people who would be generous like God is generous is the same as what it looked like for Abraham. Remember, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says, I will bless you and I will bless your descendants. They will be more numerous than the stars of the sky. But it doesn't end there. He says, I'm going to bless you so that through you, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We truly believe that when Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, like we believe that that is true because we worship and are constantly being formed into the image of a generous, gracious, good God. Jonathan Edwards, the great 18th century, I think 17th century scholar and revivalist who offered probably one of Christianity's best critiques of the attitude that says, I can have no joy. If I have joy in this thing, I've spoilt the experience. He says this in this staggering quote about God's generosity. He says this, God has given us of His redundant bounty many things for the delight of our senses, for our pleasures and gratification. And religion is not a thing that makes these things useless to us, nor does it cut off for us the enjoyment of them. 
God has blessed us abundantly. He is a good father. He's created a world for you to enjoy with overflowing generosity. He has given his best in his one and only son to take us from being spiritually impoverished to heirs of the kingdom of God. And he's given us this to enjoy him to his glory. It's staggering to me that so often I, I meet people who, at least in terms of the world, have so little. And it seems to be that they are often the people who are the happiest, the most content. Why is that? I think because they've got the frame of reference to understand that the person who amasses all of these things may not necessarily be the happiest person in the world, but the person who sees the world through the lens of this truth this morning understands the world in a completely different way. My hope and prayer is as we see the world through God's gracious generosity towards us, it will change everything about how we think, behave, act and speak. This morning, we're going to celebrate God's generosity together in the Lord's Supper. Up the back are two stations with grape juice and small pieces of flat bread that have been broken up. They, they are symbols Symbols that represent the overflowing generosity of our God. Representations of Christ's body, which was broken, His blood, which was poured out for your forgiveness. And my encouragement to those of you who love Jesus, if, if that's you, this meal is for you. As you head to the stations this morning during the next couple of sets of worship, then, then I want to encourage you to do this. Head to the back with the acute reminder of the staggering transformation that has occurred in your life as a result of the generosity of God, that He has moved you from death to life, from spiritually poor to receiving every spiritual blessing in Christ. So church, let's prepare our hearts as we respond in worship and the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning that you have been abundantly good, generous and gracious towards us. Father, so often we look at this world and we are caught up in believing that we simply need more. We live in a perpetual state of lack. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have not seen you or this world properly. Help us recalibrate our thinking. Help us adjust the lens with which we see this world. Help us to see you for who you are. And I pray that you would radically transform us by your spirit and make us a church, make us gospel communities, make us people who would overflow with the generosity that you have given us. We need you to work this in our hearts by the power of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. God's people said, amen, amen. amen.